welcome to the Disenfranchised Podcast, and boy, oh boy, have we got some wonderful sights to show you. I am your host, Stephen Foxworthy, and joining me as always, the man who is finally home, it's my co-host, Brett Wright. Hey, Brett. Hello, Stephen. Brett, happy October, my friend. It's the most wonderful time of the year. You said it, pal. Uh, it is October, and that means that we are kicking off Spookython, and we are kicking it off with uh, a an otherworldly bang, a, a bump in the night, you might say, uh, an ethereal screech. I think all of those would qualify this week. We've actually got a really great slate of episodes this month that we're really excited about. And we're kicking it off, Brett, with a movie you have been lobbying for since the very beginning of this podcast, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, this movie's in one of my top five uh, horror movies of all time. Wow. See, I didn't know it ranked that highly for it you. Does, it does. It does. Did that Did that make the list that we did on the Patreon last year? Did I just forget that? Or is it bumped up a little bit on this rewatch for you? Uh, it bumped up on the rewatch, I'm going to be honest, because I don't think it was on my top five last year, but I know it was in my honorable mentions. It had to have been. Okay. Um, cause uh, like full disclosure, everybody, I don't remember what I put on my top five last year. Hopefully you do go listen to the Patreon episode. That's um, right. Patreon.com slash disenfranch pod. And that is one of our two episodes from last October of disenfranchised our top five horror movies. Yeah. Go subscribe and listen to that and then come back and tell me if it was on my top five or not. I don't remember. Yeah. Cause Lord knows we don't listen to our Patreon content cause we're not patrons. Um, but Brett, what are we covering this on this the the auspicious beginning of Spookython? We're talking about Event Horizon. We're talking about 1997's Event Horizon, directed by one Paul W. S. Anderson and written by Philip Eisner, and starring Lawrence Fishburne, Sam Neill. Kathleen Quinlan, Jolie Richardson, Richard T. Jones, Jack Noseworthy, the great Jason Isaacs, Sean Pertwee, and many others. What a cast, Brett. What a picture. Uh, yeah, legitimately. Uh, just, you know, you got, you got Dr. Grant and Morpheus in the same movie. How could you possibly go wrong? <laughs> and, uh, you know, to say nothing of, uh, of Lucius Malfoy and, uh, and that, that one dude from Dog Soldiers. So. Sure. To a lesser extent. Yes. I, I mean, look, man, just, you got to cover all your bases, right? I'm just, I'm just saying. Um, but no, it's, it's it, great cast. Absolutely incredible cast direction. Eh, okay. Um, but I think you would say this is probably the best of the Paul W.S. Anderson movies. By far. So full disclosure, um, the very first year that we were in, uh, in recording, we had this notion, Brett and I, to do what we called actual March Madness Month, uh, wherein we would just do a bunch of Paul W.S. Anderson failed franchise starters. Um, and this would probably have been the crown jewel of that run. Uh, but it would have included the the Three Musketeers that he directed. It would have included Soldier. Um, there was another one on that list that I am now Monster. completely... Monster Hunter. That's because Monster Hunter had just come out. So that that's what it was. So those were the those were the four. We will be covering those other three at some point on this podcast. One of them is actually on the schedule right now. Who knows if it'll stay there? 
um, you know, the way things change up. But honestly, this is kind of a good time for us to be doing Event Horizon because as of the release of this episode, tomorrow, Brett, there is a, let me check my notes here, brand new Hellraiser movie? Yeah. And you, I mean, you, if you haven't seen Event Horizon, you might be going, what? That doesn't seem to coincide. That's not a Hellraiser film, sirs. But if you have seen this movie, you absolutely know why. Uh, it's pretty much Hellraiser in space. Right. But, you know, not Hellraiser Bloodlines, though. Right. We don't um, talk about we don't talk about that. We don't talk about Hellraiser Bloodlines. We don't talk about Bruno. And there are probably a few other things that we don't talk about either. But those yeah. two especially. Pretty much anything outside of like, the, I'll give the second one a pass. Pretty much anything outside of the first two Hellraiser movies we don't really talk about. And I'm going to be honest, I've only seen the first one. And as I mentioned on our Nightbreed episode, again, one of my all-time favorite of our episodes, go check that one out. Uh, Hellraiser, not my thing. That tracks. Right. That, that which absolutely tracks. I would not yeah. expect you to like Hellraiser. Right. So, and so, you know, uh, this is the second time I'll go ahead and start with my history on this movie. Cause I, I'm sure yours is far more extensive than mine. Yeah. I actually watched this movie for the first time on your recommendation, sir. Um, I borrowed it from you and, uh, watched it. And, um, I think I liked it slightly better than Hellraiser, but still I was kind of like, not my thing. Um, yes, and this was another one of those movies that I let you borrow. That I'm like, you're so excited about and really built it up because mm-hmm. I you you gonna love it because this was this was back before I really knew you as well as I do now like you're gonna we love Event Horizon it's great it's such a good horror movie we were getting to know each other for sure oh. this was early in our friendship yeah no he, yeah I should have known better I would have known better had I, I mean known what I know now exactly at this point at this point I would say should we do Event Horizon and you'd be like man I don't I don't know uh, this time, at least, you kind of knew what you were getting into because we've been friends for several years at this point. But at that point, I'd say we were probably still within the first year of our friendship. We were still getting to know each other. Yeah, I mean, had you um, have you watched Event Horizon since then? I watched it for this episode. Right. Well, that's what I mean. Uh, I have not watched it in between my initial rewatch or my initial watch in this episode. No, I have not. Okay. Well, so I was hoping, you know, maybe this time around, maybe it's it's improved a little bit. I spoiler alert, Brett, it has improved a little bit. All right. He's going to bump it up half a star, ladies and gentlemen. He knows me well, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> and look, an improvement's an improvement. I'm not really going to argue with it. That's true. Hey, it, 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 that, it, that I will say though, Brett, that's going to bump it up over fine for me. So. Hey, I'll take it. I know you will and you'll like it. Uh, no, let me actually, it's my very first exposure to this movie because I think this is, very indicative of everything I've ever said about my history with horror movies on this podcast before. Um, My dad and I, one of the things that we love are sci-fi movies. Like that's one of the few things that we both really enjoy. Um, And so when this movie came out, I was really kind of excited because it's a sci-fi movie and I love sci-fi. And so we my dad waited until it came out on probably VHS. It's like 97, 98 um, until it came out on home media and he rented it and it was rated R. So he wanted to watch it first because I was 97. I was 14. 14. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, you know, you can't have 14 year olds watching R rated movies. Massive eye roll. Um, but uh, so I woke up the next morning. I was like, so we watch an event horizon tonight. He's like, I couldn't even finish it. He's like, that was the most evil movie I've ever watched in my life. 
Um, I think he probably made it up to the part where they revealed that uh, they, the ship had gone to hell. Spoilers, I guess, if you haven't seen Event Horizon. First of all, if you haven't seen Event Horizon, why are you listening to this episode? Yeah. Um, I mean, go watch Event Horizon. Um, I'm sure it's streaming somewhere, but I I borrowed Brett's copy, so it's fine. Um, but I'm, I'm sure you can find it somewhere. But yeah, well, it, yeah uh, didn't I give you my old copy when I bought my new fancy Shout Factory version? You did. Yeah, that's that's what I that's what I watched. Um, <laughs> so I, I I didn't know that you had given me that. So now I know, and now it's just gonna join my collection over there. So yeah, you're I was I was fully planning on giving that back to you at some point, but now I know I don't have to. Hey, nope, sure don't. <laughs> I have I've, the definitive edition. I've I've given you a couple uh, a couple of movies like that too. So I've just upgraded my version. Been like you can you can have that now. <laughs> Heat, um, Mulholland Drive. Um, neither of which you've seen yet, have you? Nope. Awesome. <laughs> I mean, well, you know, the only difference though is I don't have a 4K player. I really got to work on that. Well, I, those aren't 4Ks. Those are those. No. Are- I kind of, I just glossed over that because sure. we, we don't need to discuss how I ha- still haven't watched movies you let me borrow two years ago. I you uh, know it's fine. We, we in, at the, at the height of the pandemic, yeah, yeah, we, yeah it's fine. I, I literally came up to your door, dropped them off, knocked, and ran away uh, because it was so early in the pandemic. It was like April or May of no, it was it was probably around June because we were getting ready to start this podcast because I was delivering a podcast mic to you as well. Yeah, that is correct. Oh, how time flies. Indeed. Uh, but that, I mean, that's that's a fun little trip down memory lane. Brett, you're the one who's a fan of this movie. You're the one that that recommended that I watch this movie in the first place. And, you know, this was always kind of one of, because of that reaction from my father, this was always kind of one of those horror movies I was really reticent to try. Um, but you're the one that talked me into it. So what is your history of the, with this movie? What is, how, where, where were you when you first saw it? Uh, what are your thoughts on it? How have your thoughts evolved? Just lay it on me. What is Brett's history with Event Horizon? Well, first, let me just say I had an image in my head of like uh, like the classic uh, subversive horror movie scene where like you and your dad are walking into the movie theater and there's the Event Horizon poster and it says sci-fi. There's like a little something next to it. And as you walk in, the little something next to it falls off and it says horror. <laughs> <laughs> Like, yay, sci-fi. Oh, no. Because if you look at the poster for this movie, like the OG poster for this movie, you could not tell that this was a horror film. Like, it just looks like Lawrence Fishburne and Sam Neill in space. Alan Grant and Morpheus in space. Like, what could possibly be better? Yeah. Except except we're still a couple years away from Morpheus, but still. Still. Uh, Okay, so my history, uh, I did not see this until it was well beyond out of theaters i think the first time i caught this was on tv so i didn't even get to see the actual version of it for mm. a while it was just in syndication on sci-fi channel i think i was gonna um, say probably sci-fi channel because i can't think of any other network that would show this movie <laughs> no it's definitely sci-fi um back before it was it had the wise um the <laughs> dumbest the little branding. saturn logo yeah, back when I had the Saturn logo and played MST3K all the time. Hell yeah. Um, had great original programming. Anyway, I digress. Uh, so that's the first time I saw it. I, I don't know. I probably caught it randomly. Uh, and even watching the cable TV cut version terrified the shit out of me. Mm. Uh, this is one of those movies that legitimately scared me when I was younger. 
to the point where I don't think I watched it again until much later. Uh, wow. When it was on like one of the movie channels, so I was able to watch it uncut. Um, but by then I was much more of a horror connoisseur. Mm-hmm. Much more, uh, much more of a thicker horror skin, as they say. Indeed, and, uh, desensitized is really more of the term I'm going for. That makes sense. Um, and I can still say that it's still it's still unnerving in parts, and it's mm-hmm. still, it does the creeping dread thing very well. Very well. Um, but it doesn't it doesn't terrify me like it used to. Um, but I mean, that's that's pretty much it. Like, I don't really. Your story was much more interesting than my history. Um, just uh, I found it on TV one day and I fell in love with it. That's <laughs> that's all. And I mean this this I mean you you do I I've known for a while that you really do enjoy this movie. In, not even in so far as like you recommended it to me and was like you need to watch this. This is great. But you know, just talking about iconic horror monsters, you always include Event Horizon. Anytime we're talking about like iconic horror monsters, you almost always bring up the Event Horizon. Yeah, which is one of the things I love most about the movie is, so like Paul W.S. Anderson's original idea was like, well, what if we did a haunted house movie in space? Because something like that really hadn't been done before. I and it feels like Ridley Scott's Alien Erasure, but okay. That's but that's not it's not a ghost. It's a alien. Fair it's enough. It's not this. Fair this enough. is this is something supernatural and extra extra not extra. It's extraterrestrial, but not like it, look. You get it. Um, also, I I just I'm, I'm going to take this time to to call out Solaris by Andre Tarkovsky as well, a movie I've never finished, but Dead People in Space. I'm just going to throw that out there. Okay, I've never seen it. It's it's heard, a really really long Russian movie. So I, and it's like one of those. It's like slow cinema. So you, it's kind of one of those things you have to like sit with, and like just digest over the course of a few hours. Um, I tried watching it once, but I started it at like eleven o'clock, which is like the story of my fucking life. Like, I'll get this movie and I won't realize it's as long as it is. And I'll put it on and I'm like, good Lord, I'm just falling asleep on the couch because it's this very long and like process driven movie. And I just I don't have the attention span that late at night and I just end up falling asleep. (laughs) I did that with Seven Samurai the first time I saw that movie, too. Yeah. And more than likely, I I would fall asleep through that movie at any point when I watched Mm. it. Um, Probably. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, um. Yeah, and so that fact coupled with the idea that, well, okay, if they go to a hell dimension and they get possessed, mm-hmm. wouldn't it be cool if the ship itself got possessed? So what if you sort of expand the idea of possession? So mm-hmm. it's, not, it's not just people. It can in, infect technology. And Which is a cool idea. Yeah, it's a, it, it makes the Event Horizon ship its own like creature in the movie mm-hmm. it makes it its own antagonist the ship itself is fighting against the crew it just sort of uh con- conscripts uh dr weir along the way is all i mean he kind of becomes by the end of the movie kind of becomes its renfield like if the event horizon is dracula he is its renfield he's the one kind of doing its bidding, doing its dirty work, making sure that it's his, um, you know, ma- making sure that it's, it's going to succeed in its mission in the same way that Dracula did with Renfield. Yeah. With the, with the added extra step of like, 
he eventually becomes the personification of the thing. Mm-hmm. He becomes its avatar. He becomes the Event Horizon's avatar by the end of the movie. Right. Which I mean, it's it's just cool. They're like it's really the storytelling and the ideas, and and the lore. There's a little bit of lore. Which I really like the lore. The the soupçon of lore. Yeah, the soupçon of lore. Um. Yeah, that's because that's really what I love about the movie. Like it's, it's it's okay in terms of like gore and because I've never been like a huge fan of gore. Right. In horror movies, it's Same. fine in some cases. Uh, you know, with with like as with a lot of things, I think gore is fine in moderation. Yeah, and what's what's funny though is. Uh, one of the, one of the things that's kind of well known about this movie is the production and how much uh, the studio really leaned on Paul W. S. Anderson to cut it down because of the gore and because of the content. Um, but we should talk about the plot of the movie before we get into that. I was going to say we are veering dangerously into uh, into some 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 weightier territory. So let's talk the plot of this film. And and for regular listeners, you know that it's time for the plot in sixty seconds. But for irregular listeners who are turning tuning in to to hear us kick off Spookython, well, first of all, we're glad you're here. Thank you. Hope you stick around. Um, but we usually do a segment uh, every week called The Plot in 60 Seconds. Uh, that is where Brett or I, at the behest of our friend, The Coin of Justice, will uh, recount the plot of the film uh, being discussed, in this case, 1997's Event Horizon, in 60 seconds or less. Uh, and to decide, we flip The Coin of Justice, which I have here in my hot little hand. Brett, I'm going to flip The Coin of Justice, and you, sir, are going to call it in the air. So here goes the flip, and you do the call. Tails. And it is Tails. Holy crap. I did not expect that. It's it's no. the last couple of weeks have been very um have been very one-sided with regard. I think the coin of justice is catching on to my little game. Um so yeah, here we go. It's it's my turn. So you you set them up and I'll I'll attempt to knock them down. Cool. You'll love to see it. I mean you do, sure. Yeah, I mean, I could have done this one. Uh, I, I was going to say, I probably would have preferred you to do this one, honestly. <laughs> well, the Coin of Justice had different ideas. It um, does. And and you know what? We The Coin of Justice is unimpeachable. Like, we we, we obey. We, we are but servants of the Coin of Justice. So, <clears throat> Yes, the Coin of Justice is a demon to some, angels to others. Yeah, I, I, think we, I think we both know which side of that coin we fall on. <laughs> That's a Hellraiser reference. All right, are you ready to go? Right over my head. Right over my pin-studded head. Um, uh, Whenever you are, sir. All right, your time starts right now. Uh, There's a ship called the Event Horizon that was lost seven years ago, and a distress signal is finally picked up. So uh, Sam Neill and Lawrence Fishburne and a bunch of other people are on a ship to go uh, find it. They find the, the last signal, which is like a bunch of screaming people. Uh, saying something in Latin, which they think is save me. Uh, and so they find it and it's a fucking massacre. Like everyone's dead. Um, no one's alive. And um, one of the dudes on the ship, whose name is Justin, and he's like a kid. He's barely able to be on there. He uh, tries, he tries to commit suicide and, and fails. He ultimately gets saved by Lawrence Fishburne. 
Um, and so eventually they figure out that, hey, everything's not what it seems to be. Hey, this ship actually went into hell. And uh, hey, uh, it's possessed the ship and and it's affecting all of us and we're all going to fucking die. Um, and so, you know, eventually it takes over Sam That's Neill, right. who tries to kill everybody off. Uh, he's un- ultimately unsuccessful. Uh, Lawrence Fishburne kills himself to make room for the others. They get saved. But Jolie Richardson is freaking out because she will never be gone from the event horizon. And that is time. I gave you a couple extra seconds. I, I appreciate so that. You, so you, knew, you knew I was zooming in for that landing. <laughs> I don't want to take those last dramatic pauses. Um, but I mean, no, the, the, I think the ending, can I just say this, Brad? I think the ending is probably the most affecting part of this movie. Yeah, it absolutely is. Um, when you realize that mentally she's safe or like physically she's safe, but mentally she will never get off that fucking ship. Um, and, 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 and in a lot of ways, it like so many horror movies these days is about trauma. It is, uh, which is something I always like to see. Like, you know, horror for the longest time worked a lot like like old school fairy tales. Like you just get the ending and then that's it. You don't know what happened to the characters afterwards and you never will. Right. Uh, but I, fuck I, you, that's why. Yeah, because I've, I've liked how in a lot of horror media lately, from the new Halloween trilogy to... Uh, Final Girl Support Group, which is a fantastic book by Grady Hendrix. Please go read it. Um, how it deals with the trauma that these characters went through by surviving, you know, almost being murdered and seeing all their friends killed. Mm-hmm. And it's it's cool. I, you know, I'm a, I'm a we see that guy. in the new the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre as well. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, you're probably I. Uh, stay tuned because I'll be on, uh, I think, next week's episode of Pod and the Pendulum talking about that movie. So if you want to hear my thoughts on that, never stick around, happier, folks. Never been happier to forget a movie. Um, right, right. <laughs> I think you liked that one less than I did. And I did uh, not care for that film. No, I gave it. I think I gave it one star. I didn't even I think you gave it a half a star, honestly. Did I? I don't I remember. think you did. I could be wrong. Probably. Um, I, I went through your letterbox the other day and I saw that because I, I really I, I had forgotten to see what you gave Mad Max Fury Road. That's right. Regular listeners. Brett finally saw Mad Max Fury Road after years of me asking him to. Ladies and gentlemen, it took uh, um, a girlfriend forcing me to watch it. Uh, never, never mind the best friend that's been hounding him for years on and off. mic, dude, you need to watch Fury Road. It's different. Okay, first of all, it's different. Second of all, look, you were right. Okay, look, I'm sorry. I I'll, I I accept this belated uh, this belated victory. And uh, and Brett, please allow me to say, on behalf of um, of jaded friends everywhere, I fucking told you so. <laughs> you you did. You, I'll fully admit you did. I won't <laughs> even deny it. That shit was a five star banger of a film, and I wish I'd seen it sooner. Okay, uh, fine. Yeah. There, are you happy now? I win, ladies and gentlemen. My, I am vindicated. My victory is assured. Anyway, anyway, uh, Event Horizon. <laughs> Event Horizon. So, so as I was saying um, during production, uh, Paul W. S. Anderson, you know, usually has like usually have like three weeks set at a movie in most cases. Mm-hmm. Uh, he gets to the end of those three weeks, and he's like, "Man, this uh, this movie's long and kind of doesn't have any direction. Uh, that's not good." Was there um, a script for for this movie? Was there a script? It's real bad when your director's saying that, um, right? Thank you. I agree. 
I mean, because again, the director is kind of the the captain of the ship. He's the one steering everything. And if he's lost his uh, his sense of direction, where the fuck are we going? Yeah, so he he takes another pass, and over the course of this other pass, the studio gets a little mad at him. Um, mm-hmm. Because over the course of this next pass, he's sending it out to uh, test audiences, doing test screenings for the studio and for people in general, and most of the reaction is bad. Uh, mm. It's uh, it's too gory. It's too disturbing. Uh, I, I think I read a story where some people fainted in the test screenings. Ooh. Um, which, look... The, Got ourselves the, a paranormal activity on our hands. The main uh, deleted stuff is just extended versions of the hell scenes. I mean, that makes sense. Um that we really only see in like Michael Bay quick cuts toward the end of the film. Yeah. Like, but about those hell scenes, kind of mm-hmm. a cool factoid. They got, um, actual amputees to play the, you know, dismembered crew members. Mm-hmm. And, and this, this might shock you. Uh, they got, uh, they hired some porn stars to do the, the sex stuff in those hell scenes. Wow. Yeah. You're right. Not even a remotely shocking there. I mean that's that's a Caligula move if ever I've seen one. Yeah, and I and so we'll we'll never really know what those looked like because as you've said the footage for those is gone. Yeah, which I mean there's more deleted scenes, but yeah, the um that aren't the hell dimension. Mm. But uh yeah, like once this once the studio, you know, pretty much washed their hands of the whole thing and like you cut this how we tell you to cut it at this point. Right. Which is why it's maybe not as as good as it could be. Um they they pretty much destroyed all the extra footage. Uh which is I don't think that's something that's really done a whole lot anymore. Not any well, not anymore because anymore you get I mean, you know, you can make money from the extended cuts. I mean, even as as early as the the mid two thousands, people were like releasing PG thirteen comedies in theaters and holding back footage that would have made the movie rated R, so they could release an R rated cut on home media. Right, and and yeah, if we had gotten that that sort of cut, uh, it probably would have been an X rated Event Horizon cut, probably. Oh yeah, that would have been NC seventeen with a bullet. NC-17 for sure. Um, but apparently, um, I forget who it was, one of the producers um, found a VHS tape, a single VHS tape with the edited footage, with the cut mm. footage. That's up in the air, though. Uh, I mean, look, VHS is... VHS is bad. I mean, Anderson says that it exists. Anderson says it exists. So, um, so one of the producers, Lloyd Levin, apparently found the tape. And in 2011, uh, that's when he found it. Um, then he moved overseas before he got to share it with Anderson which like doesn't I mean that doesn't really that's suspicious right like just because he moved overseas you mean Paul Anderson can't go over there and watch it uh so in like 2017 he's in an interview and like yeah I still haven't watched it yet like, hmm. 
and then reiterated in the same interview that it'll never be released. So I, and well, I mean, it's part of it is the quality issue. Like it's VHS. That is not notorious. I just watched a movie that I was in, entirely sure was completely shot on VHS. And I was like, the quality of this movie is bad. Like it just looks shitty. Yeah. Which I, <coughs> yeah. Which I completely understand. Um, but at the same time, like, so when Scream Factory slash Shot Factory uh, released a special edition, they tried to get a hold of that footage. They just wanted oh, to sure. put it. They just wanted to put it on there. They right, and that's the movie. that is an incredibly like Scream Factory. That's that's the that's the kind of attention to detail you expect out of a boutique label like them. Like those are the guys you would expect that from. Absolutely, hundred percent. Yeah, they even they pushed back the release date of their special edition of this movie to try it and get a hold of that footage, and they still weren't able to. That's dedication, my friends. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you know, you know, we're never going to see that cut content. There was an alternate ending. There was um, extended, mostly extended scenes, and just scenes that expanded on the lore, both from both character backstory wise and event horizon wise. You mean they're holding out on lore? Brett, no wonder you're so upset. I know, right? Nothing <laughs> I mean, upsets me more. I need the lore. You are our lore meister, as as has been said so many times on this on this podcast. You're the man who needs the lore. You yes. live for the lore. Inject it right into my veins. Unless it's lore for its own sake, in which case you are decidedly against that. Yeah. Laura has to have a reason. You can't just dump a bunch of backstory on me and expect me to care. That's just my opinion. Sure. That's just one man's opinion. And that one man is our own Brett Wright. Indeed. Or or as I like to call him, Brevet Horizon. No, that was real bad. A for effort, though. But, I mean, you know, I, I tried. They're not all good, folks. I'm sorry. <laughs> nah, Clearly, I've got a lot of great content to add this episode. Um, yeah, we're, we're kind of floundering right now because I'm out of stuff. Uh, that's pretty much it. That's the main thing about this movie is it just the, the editing, the cut of the movie, how much the studio interfered. Well, uh, let's talk. Let's talk a little bit about some of these performances because I, I was listening to a... Uh, the most recent episode of the uh, We Hate Movies podcast on uh, on Hellraiser Bloodline, and uh, one of the one of the people in that um, podcast, Eric Siska. If you don't listen to We Hate Movies, it's a great great movie podcast. Um, says, uh, yeah, when we did our episode on Event Horizon, I said this is like a Hellraiser movie, but with actors in it, um, which which made me laugh. Um, but I mean, the actors in this movie are damn good. I mean, you've got. Academy Award nominee Lawrence Fishburne. You've got Sam Neill, um, kind of uh, up and coming. Like I, I am a Jason Isaacs stan. I think he is fantastic. I think he is criminally underutilized and underused in most of the things that he's in. Uh, you've got Sean Pertwee from the aforementioned um, previous episode, Dog Soldiers, with our friend Cat Scully. Go check that out. Uh, Jolie Richardson. Like you've got a really, really good cast of of actors in this film. And um, they're really they're really doing some really bang up work. Yeah, this is definitely one of those situations that we run into a lot where there's so much potential here 
there's there's such a good movie here. I mean, I I think it's still a good movie, but like there's still mm-hmm. there is like a top tier all time iconic horror movie here mm. that seems to have gotten lost because of studio interference. Right. So somebody checked the box on the bingo card. I was going to say that another thing that comes up on this podcast way too often is just the studio kind of doing its meddling thing. And I think it, it's because it's a Paramount picture. And, you know, one of the one of the execs told, you know, Paul Anderson, hey, um, we're the studio that does Star Trek. Um, we can't also do this like we we've we've kind of made our bed in terms of science fiction. And this is a this is a, the bridge too far. Um, but I think at any other studio or at a studio that where he had been allowed to kind of go a little crazy, not go completely off the rails and completely nuts, because, as you know, he said, it was kind of a mess. It was kind of a rudderless film at, at one point. And I think there is a structure to it, um, at least at the, at, at the stage it exists in now. Um, it's got a story. It's 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 trying to say something. Um, but I think the performances in it really still managed to shine through even all the studio interference. Like you've got good actors doing good work. And I think no one in this movie is doing better work than Mr. Sam Neill. Uh, MVP of this movie for sure. Oh yeah. My God. Absolutely. Uh, and this is the last of what I would call, um, Sam Neill's awe and horror trilogy from the 1990s, uh, which of course starts in 1993 with a little film called Jurassic park. Ever heard of it? No, it doesn't sound familiar. Oh, you might know it as Jurassic Parak. Oh, right. 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 Uh, and then he follows that up the immediately the year after with one of my all time favorite John Carpenter movies in the mouth of madness. Um, which is so fucking good. If you've not seen in the mouth of madness, do your, I it's on my list to watch later this month. Like I am so excited to rewatch that movie again. Uh, and then um, finishes up with this a few years later in 97, like he, and of course that's not his full nineties run. Like his, his nineties run is pretty incredible, but those three movies kind of all have this, like there's something horrific that he is kind of reacting to. And he gets more and more, insane with every progressive movie like the first one he's the hero like he's the square jawed harrison ford type at the end of that movie so he's not as affected by it as as some of the other characters might be um and then in the mouth of madness he is cackling in a movie theater with multiple irises in his eyes at the end of that movie um and then in this movie he is completely in thrall of the lovecraftian horror of the abyss that he has allowed himself to gaze into um, I mean, like he just, and, and it's the last two, I think that are really of a piece. I think Jurassic park is kind of perfunctorily there. So I can call this a trilogy. Um, but I mean, those two, and I would say those are probably two of Sam Neill's best performances in the mouth of madness and event horizon, um, because he's able to just go. And, and I don't know if there's an actor who does that better than Sam Neill, I know I know I'm putting you on the spot and I know you hate it when I do that, but can you think of an actor who kind of does that gazing into the madness of the abyss better than Sam Neill does, Brett? Uh, I mean, yeah, you put me on the spot. I, I did. Uh, so there's a good possibility I won't be able to think of anybody. Um, I knew but, exactly where this was going as soon as as soon as I asked you the question. <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't know. I, 
I, I'm sure I could think of somebody if you gave me enough time. I, I, I always need time to sit with these questions and think about them. Sure. Um, I mean, look, if you can think of someone, uh, hit us up on social media. Uh, you can reach out to us at um, Disenfranch Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Also, Facebook. Um, uh, I, now, for some reason, my mind, I don't know why, my mind immediately went to, uh, like, and it's just one instance, so I can't really, I don't think this answers your question, really. But I immediately thought of Gene Wilder and Willy Wonka, like the the boat scene, like just gazing into the abyss and the insanity. Like he plays it so well. Which direction we are going. Right. Exactly. I mean that, that scene, I I could not figure out why that scene was in that movie as a kid. I covered my eyes during that scene every damn time. The first few times I saw that movie. So did I. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I saw that movie many times and I never, never had my eyes open during that scene. Okay. Which I again, I know, I know, shocks you to your core. It, it does. It, it will not shock you to know that I eventually got over that fear. So, you know what? Desensitization and all that. Hey. And again, you also had a uh, had had parents that enjoyed horror. Uh, I actually had this conversation with my parents over the weekend because I I've start I started a few years ago started doing a horror marathon every year, where I would watch. Um horror movies every one horror movie for every day in the month of October. And uh, so I was talking about a couple that I had watched already uh, to kick off the month of October. And my mom was just like, why do you watch horror movies? You used to not like those. Like, why do you like those now? And I kind of had to explain the journey on my way to becoming a, a horror fan to my horror hating parents. I even told my father that I had brought up the story of him and my grandfather and the mask of the creature from the Black Lagoon on so many podcasts. Not just mine, but other people's podcasts as well. So, I mean, you know, my dad's my dad's famous for not liking horror now. Well, as famous as yeah. as, as famous as we get anyway. <laughs> yeah, which is to say, not at all. Not at all. I mean, hey, there are people we don't know who listen to this podcast. And to you, I say... Thank you, my friends, because God, you, you help make this worth it. So thank you so much. You do. And we really? still have people downloading our Jetsons, the movie episode, by the way, like that, Insane. those downloads have not slowed down. That is wild to me. Well, hopefully they stick around. I hope anyway, so. uh, but yeah, Sam Neill is incredible in this movie. Uh, he has, he gets some of the best, pretty much all the best one-liners, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you can't leave now. She won't let you. I am home. I am home. That's my favorite one. As he like that's backs up into one. the shadows. That's exactly. My that's so probably good. my favorite scene. It's good. Uh, yeah. Uh, and that, I mean, but, and he gets, he gets to take the most stark journey. Like as an actor, I absolutely understand why you take this role because it is, you get to go crazy on film. And he just did that with Carpenter a few years earlier. But, like, it's so limited. Like, it's him in the theater. And, again, I'm spoiling In the Mouth of Madness. If you haven't seen it, honestly, go fucking watch In the Mouth of Madness. That movie's a fucking masterpiece. Um, yeah, go watch it. it. We'll wait. Now, we're, again, let me let me say, I fucking told you so. Because that movie's fucking <laughs> yeah. great. Right? It was great, wasn't it? It was great. And you're glad you watched it. And I'm glad you watched it, too. So, thank you. Um, and thank you for re-downloading this episode to get to this point. Because it probably... Would have taken you a while. Anyway, like um, he only plays that for a few moments, 
but most of it is the journey to madness. Whereas in this movie, the journey to madness is so short. It's, it's, it's such a brief, like there's like a gradual progression in, in the mouth of madness. And in this movie, he snaps, like he just snaps, like he's fine. He's rational. He's thinking there's a moment or two of doubt. And then he fucking snaps and he's gone. And that's when you get to see Neil just making a meal out of this movie, just like chomping down on this sci-fi scenery. Like it's like it's dinner. Yeah. Uh, that's, uh, I mean, when does it happen? Probably the scene where he hallucinates, like his, his wife, his wife committing her, suicide. Yeah. Uh, killing herself. And yeah. And where, where she, she says, I have such wonderful things to show you. Yeah, That's what I was about to say. Like, it, I don't know if they're ripping off Hellraiser or just saying that line as an homage either way. I... Here's the thing. So much of this movie reads like a Hellraiser film. I, and again, it feels like, and I made this comparison to you earlier, and we can talk about this for a little bit if you want. Like, it feels to me like Alien or Aliens meets a Hellraiser film. Uh, because you've got those kind of grunts and in space, very similar to the beginning of, of Alien or Aliens. And then it it's like if Alien, instead of just being a movie where aliens attack, it's what if Alien, but instead of Aliens, it's Cenobites. And so you get kind of the, the, you know, the mad hell creatures, the demonic hell creatures that just kind of pick these people off one by one, um, which is kind of fucking cool, honestly. And the fact that Bloodline kind of tried and failed to do that is uh, hilarious to me. Well, by the time Hellraiser of Bloodline came around, that, that series was lost. Um, it was already lost. Sure. Uh, but I, I Hellraiser see Bloodline, where... by the way, came out the year before this movie, so wow. which feels uh, wild to me a little bit, yeah. So I, I get where you're coming from with the comparison. I can't say I agree with it, sure, just because the the characters in this movie, the professions, they're not they're not really grunts. Um, they're they're a specialized team of people. So were the um, so were the crew and aliens. You know what I mean. Uh, they're not like you know. They're specialized marines, uh, which, by very definition, I guess yes. If you want to boil it down to like pedanticness, yes, I guess they are the same thing. What me be pedantic? Never, sir. No, you would never do that. <laughs> Kevin forfend. <laughs> But but also like that. That's also kind of where I see the similarity ending because it's it's not like it's it's not a physical thing attacking them and picking them off one at a time. It's it's this you know supernatural otherworldly force. The ship itself, if anything, it's the, the ship itself. It's one singular entity, right? attacking them and turn, turning them against each other in a way like, you know, it, it, it gets into their mind and shows them things that makes them go crazy. Very Lovecraftian. It is. Uh, I mean, and again, it's, it's gazing into the, the abyss. Like it's basically an invitation to the abyss, but I mean, and, and you, you brought this up prior to the record, like so many, sci-fi movies borrow that element from alien that you've got this kind of start 
And then all of a sudden shit goes horribly wrong very suddenly. Um, and that's, but I think so much of that is indebted to alien. Like you're like so many sci-fi movies have done that. And I'm like, yeah. And it's because of alien and how effective Ridley Scott was at making that work. That's why so many people bar ended up borrowing that. So it's, you know, every sci-fi horror movie that exists owes at least some debt of gratitude to alien in the same way that the, a movie like predator also owes a debt of gratitude to alien because that premise started as what if Rambo versus alien. I think it was originally Rocky, but then you've got, you know, the, 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 you know, the badass bounty hunters in the jungle, like Rambo kind of shit. And, and so that movie is Rambo meets alien essentially. Um, and if it bleeds, we can kill it. Unfortunately, demons don't bleed and no. neither do ships. Nope. They sure don't. Nope. Nope. Which, nope. which is why there probably would have been a sequel. Uh, we'll mm. get to that later though. Um, Indeed. What? We'll yeah. get to the whole premise of this podcast? Dude, I know, right? We never do that. How dare we? Yeah, and so I, I agree. I, I, I do agree that most sci-fi movies owe a debt of gratitude to Alien and Aliens. I just, I, and I have, and like I said before, before this recording, I have no actual facts to back this up with, but I mm -hmm. feel like it had, that same premise had to have been done before. Group of X people meet to investigate X thing. Shit goes off the rails. And, right. and, it, and it very well may have, but I think so many times those groups were like scientists. Um, you know, who goes into space? Scientists go into space. That's, that's who goes into space. It's scientists. Uh, I mean, unless it's like a, like a, a Buck Rogers kind of a thing or a Flash Gordon kind of a thing, which is kind of a, a play on some of those tropes, right? Like Flash Gordon's an athlete. Um, Buck Rogers is a space cop. Um, there's a DC comic character called Space Cabby. He, 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 he flies a cab in space. That's his whole thing. Um, so, I mean, there are, there are kind of riffs on that and other kind of offbeat sci-fi things that that does. But then we also have like, again, I think, and it's like Star Wars, like science fiction looks a certain way until Star Wars. And then Star Wars is the one that does like the gritty lived in realistic sci-fi. And it's largely because George Lucas can't afford to do the slick shit that that most other sci-fi people have done. So they're literally cobbling the shit together from garbage and it looks lived in. It looks like it's been around for ages. And I think Alien is kind of the same way. Like, sure, there have always been like groups of people in space, but it's not until you get kind of these grunts working for the company that we really get kind of the other side. Like, yeah, we've got this kind of pristine thing in space. And I, and I think alien owes a debt to star Wars as well, because it, again, it, it takes, you know, what if this entire crew is just a bunch of bums? You know, what if everybody is Harry Dean Stanton or John Hurt or uh, Yafet Kodo, just, you know, a bunch of, a bunch of dudes hanging out in space together. Um, you know, none of those people are particular Tom Skerritt, like none of those people are particularly like special with the exception of Yafet Kodo, who's just like a fucking God, but like, you know, all those people are kind of grungy looking and kind of dirty and kind of, kind of dopey. Um, and then you've got, you know, I mean, it, it's kind of a lived in thing and it's, I don't know. I, I feel like alien kind of unlocks something and, and, and if it, if it's not the first one to do it, it's the first one to do it that made it that big 
it's the first one that people notice. It's probably the one that most people are going to point to. And I'm sure Ridley Scott could point to two or three things that he took the inspiration from. Or uh, or Dan O'Bannon, the guy that wrote the thing, could probably point to a few things. Like uh, Dark Star, the first John Carpenter movie that Dan O'Bannon wrote. That's got a lot of Alien in it, too. So, I, I mean, we can't really call Alien the first one, but it's the first one that did it big. Yeah, it's the Lord of the Rings thing, right? Like there was fantasy before Lord of the Rings, but Lord of the Rings did its thing and it was the gold standard for fantasy going forward. Exactly. So, yeah. Okay, fair. So, yeah, we solved that debate. Good for us. Hooray. Congration, we done it. And we don't hate each other. That's, that's That's the real... We're all winners here today. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, that's how you have an actual debate with somebody and not um, call them names. I mean, let's just make it a conversation and yeah. and be willing to concede that you might not know everything. Which I, God knows, doing this podcast for a couple of years now, I've learned to do that. Uh, I, I just assume I don't know anything. And, and most people who listen to this podcast know it for sure. I can't tell you the amount of misinformation I've accidentally spread on this podcast just because I'm an idiot who didn't do research. Same. But Stephen, but Brad, talk to me. Talk to me about Lawrence Fishburne. I don't think we've talked about uh, Mr. Fishburne on the podcast before. God, Larry F. First of all, I love Larry. Uh, you gotta love Larry. If you don't love Larry, what the fuck is wrong with you? Um, Lawrence Fishburne, what an actual fucking talent. Uh, nominated for his only Oscar. In 1994, so at this point, he's already an Oscar nominee, best actor in a leading role for his role as Ike Turner in What's Love Got to Do With It. Um, Such an absolutely phenomenal movie. Gets his start in like the 70s in like exploitation films. Gets cast in Apocalypse Now in 1979, uh, one of his early breakout films. Um, He's on Trapper John MD. He's on M.A.S.H., He's in Death Wish 2. Um, like, he just kind of works his way up. He does a couple of other um, movies with uh, Francis Ford Coppola. He does Rumblefish. He does Cotton Club. He does Color Purple with Steven Spielberg. Like, he's just one of those guys who is kind of steadily working. And then he hooks up with Spike Lee uh, starting in 1988 with his second movie, School Days. Um, and then he just kind of starts popping in shit. Um, and is just really, really fucking good. Boys in the Hood in 1991, where he plays Furious Styles, fucking incredible. Uh, one of my favorite under undersung movies, Deep Cover, a Bill Duke movie where he's absolutely fucking phenomenal in it. I bought the Criterion Blu-ray, so good. Searching for Bobby Fischer, What's Love Got to Do With It, both of those in 1993. Another John Singleton movie, Higher Learning in 95. Um, and then he's just on the ascent. He does the Kenneth Branagh Othello in 95 as well. This movie in 97. And then of course, in 1999, he does the movie that basically makes him a household name, the matrix. And holy shit from there on out. It's, it's Lawrence, all Lawrence Fishburne all the time. Um, Osmosis Jones in 2001, Matrix Reloaded in 2003, Mystic River, Matrix Revolutions, the remake of Assault on Precinct 13 with uh, Ethan Hawke. Um, Like, he just starts popping off like crazy. And God bless him, because the man is just has such a natural God-given talent. And it's such it's always such a joy to watch him on screen. And he's playing the very stereotypical hero role in this. 
but he still manages to infuse it with a level of humanity that you might not get from a lesser actor. Like you believe the shit that he's saying and you believe that he has gone through the trauma that he's gone through and that he's really legitimately wanting to make amends for it. Um, and again, I, I would, when I say this is his best role, no, probably not, but it's, it's so fucking good. He's, he's, he's so good in this movie. Like he, I think he and Sam Neill are better than this movie deserves in a lot of ways. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a bold claim. Uh, I mean, I know you, I, know, I can't expect you to agree with me on that, but no, not at all. Uh, but yeah, no, he's, he's fantastic. The, 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 the little bit of a monologue he gives about, have you ever seen fire in zero G? Right. It's just that there's so much emotion in that. Like you, He's just he's just such a good actor, and I, yeah. I can tell you, I think I can I can pinpoint when I watched this movie now, and it had to have been post nineteen ninety nine, because I think the reason I stopped and watched this movie was because hey, it's Morpheus. I mean, I'm going to mm. watch this movie, and, and then a few beats is. go by, and oh hey, it's Doctor Grant. <clears throat> I don't think I made that connection. Really, you weren't a big Jurassic Park guy in the late nineties. I was, well, I was a big Jurassic Park guy, uh, but I don't think, I don't know, I don't, I don't know, for some reason, Sam Neill doesn't have the same kind of recognizable face, like, because for the longest time, for the longest time, I don't think I knew Dr. Grant and Dr. Weir were the same person. Just, that is wild to me, sir. I'm face blind to Sam Neill for some reason. I don't Apparently, know why. Poor Sam Neill. God, he deserves better. Yeah, I don't know why that is. I'm usually much better than that. With I'm terrible with actor names, but I can recognize. I can go, oh, I know that guy. Like that's that one guy from that one thing that I saw yeah. that one time. Yeah, I can do that. Like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> Whereas I'm the guy going, that sounds like William Friedkin. Is that William Friedkin on this episode of The Simpsons? It is William Friedkin. And everyone's like, how the fuck do you know what William Friedkin sounds like? And I'm like, don't worry about it. I got, I got a thing. It, 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 it's, it, this is, it. this is one of my two stupid human tricks. The other one I have revealed behind the paywall. Yeah. Another Patreon plug. Let's do mm-hmm. it. But yeah, like I, I'm, I'm the guy you tell me a movie. I can list at least two or three people that are in it. If it's a movie I know particularly well, I might be able to give you the year and the director. Yeah, whereas I, I have to know the movie really well to even be able to name a couple people. Right. So that's right. how bad it is. Why am I doing a movie podcast? I don't know. You because you because you wanted to do a podcast and this was the idea I presented to you. That, yeah, that's you that's why we're here, sir. <laughs> So yeah, well, we'll call out our one dissenter and say, "Look, I need I need Wikipedia to tell me about stuff. Otherwise, I don't really know it that well." I mean, look, we're 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 not experts in any stretch. We're just a couple of guys who like we're a couple of friends who like having conversations about movies with each other. This is what we used to do at work all the time, um, and not that our bosses would get angry with us or anything, but this is just what we would do at work. And then the pandemic happened and we couldn't do it at work and we missed doing it. So we just, this was our outlet to talk about all the shit we used to just talk about at work. Yeah. So welcome into these conversations. We're glad are, they always here, gonna be, are they always going to be the most insightful um, or information filled? No, because here, let me tell you, I've, again, doing this for two years, a lot of times it's the same reason. It, it's studio interference 
It's uh, didn't make enough money. Hollywood not knowing what the audiences really want. Correct. Uh, I mean, call out your cliche. There's a reason Hollywood relies on cliches is because they tend to work. Uh, they work until they don't. And that's a hundred percent. The impetus behind this podcast is why shit works and why shit doesn't. Why, why one thing pops and another fizzles, why some movies can take off that are that are absolutely terrible and other movies that are secretly great languish in obscurity for, for decades. Like that's kind of the, that's kind of the thing that we find interesting in these, in these films, in these conversations. Um, and some of those conversations are more interesting than others. So sorry, but not sorry. Cause it's the nature of the beast. Yeah. Yeah. That's, so that's, you know, that's, that's where we're at. Look, sometimes you get one bad comment and you focus on that and you start to spiral. You got to explain why that one comment's wrong. Okay. So there's a little insight to us by the way go 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 rate us on apple podcast five stars please and thank you give us a little a little review saying why you like the podcast that would be that would that would just honestly it would make brett just feel a lot better about his life honestly honestly it would yeah i mean i totally get it and so many um content creators on the internet talk about how you could get a million good comments but you'll focus on the one bad one Mm -hmm. and my god is that accurate and I mean, look, and, and I'm, again, I'm, I'm convinced I'm only good in very small doses. So the fact that we've been doing this for two years and have dedicate, a dedicated listener base, I, that, yeah. that consistently boggles my mind. But, you know, we love all of you. We do. And we, we legitimately we're thankful that you're here because um, if you're here, we'd just be sitting here talking to ourselves. And that that can only take us so far. Indeed. But let's get back to the focus of this podcast, which is to say uh, our new segment that we should have been doing since the beginning. Uh, does this uh, movie deserve a sequel, Steven? I don't, I don't even know, Brett, what a sequel to this movie would be. Um, I legitimately do not. Um, like, is it, is, does, does the, 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 the spirit of hell live on in the life craft? that returned uh, is, is Jolie Richardson now like condemned to be the new Renfield, the new Sam Neill, um, you know, inflicting demonic pain on everyone around her. Like, I'm not even sure what a sequel to this movie looks like. Um, I, I don't know that it would be a sequel for me, but I know enough people would enjoy it that I think it, it, it would be okay if one existed. I just don't know that it would be my cup of tea if if we got the franchise that that Event Horizon seemed to want to be. All right, so I'm going to go on a bit of a deep dive here. Bear oh, with me. God, you. here it comes. Buckle in. I'm going to do some stuff. Uh, okay, so Brett doesn't do this often, so this is a very special occasion. It is. Light your light your pumpkin spice candles. Sip your pumpkin spice lattes. Uh, just hunker down in all of your fall basic bitchitude and listen to Brett pontificate on the sequeldom of Event Horizon. Say, say your prayers to Sawin if that's your thing. Um, okay, so I think if, if there's if there's one thing we've learned because of Alien, uh, company's not going to give up on something. Uh, so they're absolutely sending another team. Uh, that's probably where the sequel goes, I think. Do we do we cast Jolie Richardson? Do we cast um, uh, do we cast Richard T. Jones? Like do do we do we conscript them in here as as the survivors from this movie? 
That I'm not sure. I feel like you probably do. Okay. Uh, at least one of them, right? Yeah, at least one of them, hopefully both. And you, you throw them in as a cameo at the beginning, uh, explaining what happened. Nobody believing them. Right. And the, com- and the company going, you know what? We Look, that's money. That's money, dude. We got to throw them back out there. Uh, so that's that's where the sequel goes. Um, and, and here's where the deep dive happens. So, and it's it's going to be a, a tiny little tangent into Brett's video game corner. Uh, but just uh, bear with me. So there's a video game series called Dead Space, uh, which I absolutely love, except mm-hmm. for the third one. Don't bother with the third one. They're they're re- they're remaking the first one. Comes out next year, I think. Looks great. Um, but the first two games. Uh, has you playing a character um, who is, I mean, he's just, he's there for mining. He's just, uh, he's just a regular blue collar miner, mm-hmm. space, space miner. And uh, they're going to dock with a ship that's doing some major, like, hardcore drilling into this one planet. And they lose communication with it and they're going to investigate. And, um, they're, when they, once they get on the ship, they're attacked by these creatures called necromorphs, uh, which is just like a eldritch alien parasite that can mutate people into horrific creatures. Mm-hmm. And so that's pretty much the first game is just, um, his, his name is Isaac, the main character. Um, the, the game is very heavily influenced by Event Horizon. Um, he is constantly hallucinating... Uh, seeing his girlfriend who was on this ship. Um, he's, he's constantly trying to rescue her, thinking she's still alive, but, you know, spoilers for a, like, 15-year-old game. Uh, she died, and he's just been hallucinating her um, because there's, like, this eldritch otherworldly being that's, like, controlling the necromorphs and trying to get into his head, which it eventually does by the end of the game. Sure, I'm sure. I mean, if it's if it's based on this movie, that that tracks. Yeah. So in the second game, he is, if I recall, he he sort of in a very somewhat Ripley like fashion, accidentally stumbles into the same situation. Uh, it's except it's on like um, a part of a planet that's like just like a big housing complex. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, it's bigger. There's more, there's more people. So there's more necromorphs, you know, you always got to go bigger and better with the next one. Um, yeah, that's, I mean, it, James Cameron taught us that when he turned alien into aliens. Right. You just throw an S on there and add a few more, you know, and add, you know, put a dollar sign, you know, line down the middle, to make a dollar <laughs> sign. And, and there you go. Right. Exactly. So the, the thing about the first dead space is it's very atmospheric and you get very familiar with the ship mm-hmm. it, it's called the the ishimura is the name of the ship mm-hmm. so you you get you get used to it. You, you recognize it in the second game after a while he hears that um the company it's always the damn company mm-hmm. has, and that, that's very much an alien thing has salvaged the ishimura has it docked at this space station where he's at and they're cleaning it up and they're going to reissue it. Mm. So mm-hmm. there, there comes a point in the game. It's maybe one of my all time favorite 
parts of a video game. Mm-hmm. Because you eventually end up going back into the Ishimura. Except it's, it's this very, like, it's, it's the same but different because you recognize the rooms you're in and you recognize the corridors and, the, you know, you know which room is coming up. But it's covered in white tarps and cleaning supplies. And you, you can see, like, where some of the blood, you know, and, and ultraviolet light is still showing on the walls but it's been cleaned clean mm-hmm. and it's just this very it, you almost feel the same trauma that Isaac's probably feeling like he's he's having to go back to the ship again after surviving what he went through and so it's just it's, it's very effective it's mm. something i've never seen done in a video game before especially mm-hmm. a horror video game so i think i think maybe that's where a sequel goes so you don't you don't give one of them a cameo at the beginning. You force one of them to go back, and you force one of them to relive the trauma of what happened. Interesting. Um, and maybe you know, maybe maybe one of them was infected by it, and they're going back, and it enhances it, and they become the new Sam Neil character. Um, I don't know. There's different ways you can do it. But anyway, that's my spiel. Thank you for coming to my TED talk. Go play Dead Space. It's fucking amazing. So you're you're going to be in the yes, this does deserve a sequel camp. Yeah, all of all of that probably like ten minute rant was yes, it does deserve a sequel. I just I just wanted to make sure that we put you know we put the nail in that coffin just to just to make it abundantly clear where you landed there. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, everybody. Some of you were probably bored. That's okay. Um, Brett, all of that reminded me of a pitch that you sent me lo these many years ago that I cannot for the life of me find anywhere in my inbox. And I pray I, know exactly I have not what pitch you're talking about, Stephen. Um, and, and I, I pray I have not deleted it, but I fear that I may have in which I asked you at one point just, and I think this was during COVID if I'm not mistaken, I asked you to pitch me on your ultimate horror crossover and uh, i think this this was pre-covid if i recall because i remember writing the pitch at my desk at work okay i remember reading it at home at my computer where it was set up for covid so maybe i revisited it later i probably did knowing me um but brett would you and, and again in typical brett Wright fashion it revolves majestically around the event horizon would you do you remember enough of that pitch to recount it for our listeners, or am I just, or, or should Tucker just cut all of this out? I don't think he's got to cut it out. I don't know if it's really relevant, Tucker. You might want to cut this out. You decide if this is relevant or not. Oh, he will, and he'll probably leave it in. <laughs> Fair enough. If if I know Tucker, and I do, love you, Tucker. Um, he'll probably end up leaving it in. Okay. Fair enough. Well, I will begin here. Okay, so my pitch was, and it, it's not so much that like I had like I had to include the event horizon. It just seemed like it worked, because how else do you get every iconic horror monster, slasher, etc. together at the same time? 
And to be clear, when I said horror crossover, I was thinking maybe two or three characters from two or three different franchises, not every character from every franchise, which is where you ended up taking it. Well, I mean, come on, man. It's like my all time. If I uh, believe you even said if budget was no concern, if money was no object, sure. what would you do? Well, and that's mainly just because you've got to get all these studios to agree to share IP, which is these days an insane prospect, to say the least. Oh, yeah, this would never happen. Uh, this is this is truly dead set in fan fiction territory. And I would love to see you write this as fan fiction, Brad, just for for the sake of clarity. Oh, God, I don't have that mental overhead. Fair I'm enough. Having, I'm having enough trouble writing my own book. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, maybe this is something you write on the side to get you back in the headspace you need to write your own stuff. Maybe. National Novel Writing Month is coming up. Okay, so my pitch was, you know, how are you going to get them all together? Well... We have uh, a a ship in a horror movie that can travel through different dimensions. Easy, uh, right? And um, and we'll just say that the hell dimension that it traveled to—that's the hell dimension the Cenobites are from. Uh, so I mean, look, I mean, all, makes sense given what's in this movie. It basically writes itself at the beginning. I didn't really mm-hmm. have a whole lot of trouble coming up with that part. It just seemed like it writes itself, right? Um. So, you know, you got Pinhead on there. He's he's now controlling the event horizon. He travels to different dimensions, collects uh, all the different horror icons, and they... Your, your Freddies, your Jasons, your Chuckies, your Leatherfaces at all. Yeah, your, your Michael Myerses. Your Things, your Blobs. And Basically, if Cabin in the Woods was set on the event horizon... Kind of with the added uh, thing of like uh, one of the iconic horror heroes gets when this is happening. Maybe it's Ash. It's probably Ash. I, I'm almost positive uh, it was Ash. If memory Ash. serves, it was Ash. It's got to be Ash anyway. Uh, and even if it wasn't, it is. Yeah. I'm positive uh, it was, though. So then he has to, you know, I don't know, use the Necronomicon to travel to other dimensions himself to gather up all the heroes. And your Laurie Strodes, your Sidney Prescott's, your, um, your, all of your iconic, your Ghostbusters, all of your iconic horror heroes. Yeah. Your gizmos. One giant all out fight at the end. I don't know what the I don't know what the what the MacGuffin or what the conceit is, but like that's my basic pitch. The conceit is every horror it's like all out horror extravaganza is the conceit. And Yeah, I mean if you go back to like classic comic books, you didn't need one. Like, they're just gonna throw all of our heroes and make them fight one another like action figures. It doesn't they really were need anything. Thinly veiled at best, honestly. Like all yeah. the best comic book crossovers just felt like a bunch of people playing with toys. And this is essentially that for horror movies. Really? Yeah. And then, you know, you, you make about, I don't know, a few thousand dollars at the box office. Um, horror fans mostly hate it. And that's it. Michael Myers would never do that. I can't believe you'd put that in a movie. That doesn't make any sense. Honestly, it's when worth did, it. When for did me horror to- become political? Why is everybody going to be so woke now? Uh, oh, get your, my woke horror now. <sighs> I um, I just honestly want to see that just to see Ash and Leatherface have a chainsaw battle. Yeah. I mean, look, 
just Dennis Hopper in Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Just fuck yes. Dual wheels and chainsaws. Just, Lefty yeah. and right, baby. Yes. That and, would absolutely and, happen, yeah. And I, I stretch. Stretch needs to be there too. I love I loves me some stretch. My number three favorite final girl of all time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. She great. She real real great. Um, but yeah, so I mean, Paul Thomas Anderson has been talking about a sequel to this movie pretty much since the first one came out. In fact, even as recently as this past August, um, on the 25th anniversary of this film was like, yeah, I I would absolutely do a sequel to this movie. Apparently one of the early fans of this movie was Kurt Russell who told him, look, Paul, you probably regret making this now, but in 20 years, this is going to be the one you're glad you made. And he's probably right because it might very well be PWSA's best movie. Well, and also, um, as of this time last year, they were still uh, in pre-production for a TV series. Right, I do remember hearing about that. Yeah, so I don't, I don't know if that's. I didn't. I wasn't able to find anything about where it's at now. Uh, the The latest news was, I think, October twenty first of last year. So um, just looking at my notes here, it looks like the Event Horizon series is stuck in a development hell dimension uh, where it will probably languish for many years. Yeah, that probably tracks. I don't know how you turn it into a series anyway, though, honestly. I don't it either. It doesn't feel like a series sort of story unless you're just retelling the movie how I guess Anderson wanted to tell it, like more drawn out, longer or maybe you actually send them to the hell dimension and talk about what they find there. Maybe you actually bring the fucking Cenobites into it. Who knows, man? Not me. I just work yeah. here. Yeah, I certainly don't, don't either. I don't know if I'm a fan of that. But because they, they really make the hell dimension out to be like, you, you don't go here. This is not what you don't. You don't experience this place. It experiences you. Exactly. In... Uh, in Soviet space station, <laughs> hell experiences you. Um, oh boy! Uh, so oh boy. Re- re- real quick before before we get into the box office, though, I gotta say, uh, for some of you out there, maybe one, I may be talking to one person out there. But um, hey, if it's you, feel real, real special right now. There was a lot of uh, speculation at first that this is basically just a uh, Warhammer 40k prequel. Uh, Now, Warhammer 40k is a setting, it's a tabletop RPG setting, it's a tabletop miniature war game setting, it's a video game setting, it's it's a bunch of stuff. Um, Which um, Philip, Philip Eisner, the screenwriter, did acknowledge after the fact that yes, he did take inspiration from that um because in warhammer 40k um a parallel dimension exists that was inhabited by evil spirits that can infiltrate ships possess the crew um and it's basically the same thing it's just a the main antagonists of the warhammer 40k universe come from that hell dimension if i believe and so the, the impetus for most of the story is a giant galactic war was incited when these demons came out of the hell dimension and invaded the universe. Okay. I mean, maybe that's where you take um, a series. Maybe you explore that aspect of it a little bit. 
I don't know how much you could do that without infringing on some copyrights, but sure. I mean, you can you can always look, man. People infringe on copyrights all the damn time, and and they they do just enough to where it's like this is totally not the thing that you know. Ooh. Yeah, I don't think that would be as cool though, to be honest. Yeah, I like my dead, dead space adjacent idea, not my Warhammer forty k adjacent idea. Sure, sure. I, I mean that tracks. Um, so let's let's do get into the box office a little bit. Uh, this movie comes out on August 15th of in the year of our Lord, 1997. Uh, let me get my numbers here for that opening weekend. Um, this is uh, hang on. All right. So in uh, Event Horizon opens at number four uh, to nine point five million in its opening weekend. That's nine point five out of an ultimate two hundred. I'm sorry, twenty six million dollar domestic box office internationally. Brett, do you want to know what the international numbers for this movie are? It is the most laughably low international number I've ever seen. Two dollars. Seven hundred and eleven. Yikes. Right. Um, and uh, I'm right. Like it's not even. And apparently all of that. <laughs> uh, most of that was in Australia. Um, and then a little bit in New Zealand. Like this movie does nothing internationally. Uh, does it all in America. And honestly, That's, doesn't do that much in America either. Is that is it? Is that because Sam Neill is Australian or is he British? I forget. What uh, I think he's, I think he might be New Zealand. Let me, New, uh, Zealand. New, okay. New Zealander. Let me, let me double check and make sure. Uh, because apparently uh, New Zealand and um, Australia are very different places. And when you say that they're similar or the same, people tend to get very upset. He's actually born in Northern Ireland, oh, okay. uh, but his father is born in New Zealand. Okay. Fair enough. So he is of New Zealand ancestry, and I think that is where he spends a lot of his time now, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so this movie opens, like I said, to about 9.5 million. And number one is the Sylvester Stallone film Copland, which is also new this week. Um, what if there was a land of cops? What, what, if, what if there was a land of cops? And it was led by Sylvester Stallone, of all people. Um, in second place, uh, in its fourth weekend in Holding Steady at number two, is a little movie called Air Force One, Get Off My Plane, as it were. Uh, in third place, down from number one the weekend before, in its second weekend, is the Richard Donner film Conspiracy Theory. Uh, and uh, in fourth place, as we said, Event Horizon. And in fifth place, future episode of this podcast, Spawn. Oh, Spawn. I remember Spawn. Which is down from third place in its third weekend. And in three weeks has already grossed more than Event Horizon will gross in its entire run by about $20 million. Uh, rounding out our top 10, George of the Jungle, which weirdly did get a sequel. Uh, Men in Black, which also got a sequel, deservedly so. That movie was fucking huge. In seven weeks, it's already got two and a quarter million dollars. Or I'm sorry, uh, $225 million, so $200.25 million. Um, uh, in eighth place, a movie called Picture Perfect. Uh, in ninth place, my favorite Robert Zemeckis movie, Contact, which that's one of those things that I say and people look at me like I'm insane, uh, but it's very true. And then in 10th place, a little movie that, that weirdly spawned a sequel, 
called Air Bud. Because, Brett, you know, there is no rule in the rule book that says a dog can't play basketball. Uh, yeah. That movie got so many sequels. Yeah, and, and it's its own spinoff franchise as well, Air Buddies. Yep. Yep, that happened that and we all let it happen. We all let it happen, yep. The, the Tomatometer score on that one is, uh, in, on Event Horizon, rather, is 31%. The critics' consensus, despite a strong opening that promises sci-fi thrills, Event Horizon quickly devolves into an exercise of style over substance, whose flashy effects and gratuitous gore fail to mask its over-reliance on horror cliches. Well, I can't um, say I agree with that at all. I was going to say, uh, you seem you seem kind of dead-setting. I don't know that I would agree to, with that one much either. Um I, I I've got my bones to pick with that again. This is not, I don't, I don't like this movie quite as much as you do, but that seems unduly harsh to me. Uh, the meta score on this one is 35 based on generally unfavorable reviews from 20 critics. And the letterbox score is a 3.3 Brett out of five stars. How do you rate 1997's event horizon? I'm going to give it a 4.5 brother. Uh, whereas I give it a three. Uh, up from 2.5 on my first watch. So this goes from fine to good. Hey, all right. Which I figure you'll take. Hell yeah, I'll take it. This is one of, I want to say, three PWSA movies that I've seen. Maybe four PWSA movies that I've seen. Um, I have seen this. I've seen Soldier. I've seen Mortal Kombat. Um Shit, I forgot he directed Death Race. I've seen Death Race for some reason. Uh, and I've seen Alien vs. Predator. I've seen five PWSA movies. What the hell is my problem? Um, but the, and, and honestly, this is probably the best one with a bullet. Yeah, I think I've, I've seen more, but that's only because I was a glutton for punishment and saw every Resident Evil movie. So. I remember there was a time when I when I told you, I think I'm going to watch every Paul W.S. Anderson movie. And I think the words you said to me, these are not the exact words, but something along this vein. Stephen, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something. Yeah. Uh, and now I, I would grab you and shake you and say there's only madness down that road. <laughs> don't do it. And here's the thing. I know I'm going to watch at least at least two movies, two of his movies I've never seen before for this podcast. Um, which is to say, we're, we're I'm going to end up watching, um, fuck, what movies were we talking about doing? Uh, Monster Hunter and um, Soldier, right? Uh, well, I've seen Soldier. Three Musketeers is the one I haven't seen. Oh, uh, yeah, got it. So, yeah, but yeah, I, I will. I will at least go and watch those. I remember my buddy. Now nah, I'll tell. I'll save this for the Three Musketeers episode. Forget about it. Good call. Yeah, we'll talk about that later. And you'll probably, we'll probably do. Third Patreon plug of the episode. We'll probably do this. We'll probably do an unenfranchised on the last Resident Evil movie at some point. I'm sure we will. I'm sure the next time they try to reboot that franchise, uh, we'll probably do Welcome to Raccoon City on the main feed, and we'll end up doing uh, unenfranchised for the final chapter of the Resident Evil films uh, on unenfranchised behind the paywall. So and honestly, honestly, I. I hope they don't. And not because I don't want to cover those movies for the podcast is because they just need to stop trying. Just stop. I know you've got some very strong opinions about the, the, what has been done with that franchise. Oh, you wouldn't believe. Um, and, and honestly, I, I kind of want them to do it again. Cause I want to get a, a on record 
I want to get just one of those great all-time iconic Brett Wright rants about the media that he loves and how, how everyone has just fucking ruined it. Like I just, I want to, I want to crystallize one of those for posterity. Well, I mean, look, we don't got to wait for them to try to redo it. We can just do that. That's true. We could, I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll probably, I don't know if you want to hear that, send us an email disenfranchpod at gmail.com. Like our good friend Landon DeCrastis did recently. Uh, we've actually been meaning to read this one for a while. This one's almost a month old. Um, and we've we've kind of been sitting on it. I say we've been sitting on it. We've just kept forgetting to read it. Sorry, Landon. But I did want to address this on the podcast. Landon sent us an email. Uh, I was listening to the Goonies episode and the subject of fat actors came up. I'm in agreement that it is often problematic with it when a thin actor is put into a fat suit to play a fat character. What do you think about actors that gain weight to play a fat role? Um, I think specifically of someone like Robert De Niro, who gained a lot of weight to play the older Jake LaMotta in Raging Bull, uh, Christian Bale, who famously gained weight for his roles in American Hustle and uh, Dick. Um, Brett, do do we do you have thoughts on an actor who gains weight to portray a role? Didn't, uh, didn't Jared Leto do it for... Um, I'm sure he did. House that of John, Gucci. That John, that John Lennon movie. Oh, I didn't even know he was in a fucking John. I thought you were talking about House of Gucci. No, he was playing uh, the guy that killed John Lennon. Oh, I think you're right. Fuck, I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm be honest. I I try not to give Jared Leto much thought. Yeah, me neither. His music's good. Well, used to be good, Uh, but that's about it. Um, yeah, I think it's I think it's the same sort of problematic. It's also very unhealthy. Uh, Why would you do that? Like, that just seems unnecessary. Uh, I mean, it's their choice to do that, sure. But, like, just hire an actor of the right weight. It's the same situation as, like, you know, race and whatnot. Like, just hire hire the right person. Don't don't get lost in the sauce of, like, we have, a, we have to have a big-name actor. So, you know, we have because to how- racially swap the ethnicity I'm looking at you ghost in the shell movie. Uh, Scarlett Johansson last time I checked isn't Asian of Asian descent at all. Uh, so like just, it's the same, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. And I mean, how else are, are actors of, of size supposed to get those opportunities unless you cast them? Like someone like Jonah Hill doesn't become a celebrity unless someone like Judd Apatow takes a chance on him. Someone like Paul Walter Hauser doesn't get a chance to rise to prominence unless someone like Clint Eastwood casts him in something like Richard Jewell. And he's just been steadily working as a really good working actor for years and gets the opportunity to play those roles. Like you're not going to normalize a certain, um, a certain type of figure or a certain type of person, unless those people, people like that are given opportunities uh, a larger actress that has been given a lot of opportunities and has done very well for herself, despite your lack of of, uh, of fondness for the, for her, is is uh, Melissa McCarthy, who has gained a good deal of prominence um, being a, a larger woman in in films, and she's done really well for herself because she's incredibly talented. She's very funny. Again, your mileage may vary on just how funny, but I think she's absolutely phenomenal. Someone like. Um, 
like Lizzo being given, you know, because she's so fucking talented, being able to rise to the level of prominence that she is, people people will recognize talent when they see it, but it needs to be given a, a chance in an environment in which it can flourish and prosper. Uh, so when you say Jonah Hill, though, and I, I have some other thoughts. Well, first of all, to address uh, that, she's only played comedic roles. Name a dramatic role that she's done. Um, she was nominated for an Oscar for her role in, um, fuck, I forget in the name of the movie, with Richard Grant. Uh, this was just a few years ago. I'm completely forgetting the fucking name of the movie. I think it's like, I think you should leave, or I'm sorry to bother you. No, sorry to bother you is a different movie. Um, it is, fuck me, what is the name of that movie? Tucker, cut this out. Do Tucker, cut all this out. Can You Ever Forgive Me? Uh, she's she gets Oscar nominated for Can You Ever Forgive Me, uh, as does Richard E. Grant, rightly so. Like, I mean, that that's a and again, just because we don't watch those movies doesn't mean that they're not good performances. Um, and well, I think there's some element of comedy in that, but you know, there's also it's it's a chance for her to play something different and to do something different. Nine Perfect Strangers, a TV series that she did where she's not as overtly comedic as she has been in other things. And you say comedy very dismissively, like it's not really fucking hard. No, I'm not saying comedy's not hard. I'm saying that it's always the overweight person that has to do comedy. It's always like the the, the fat guy, the funny fat guy, Agreed. the funny fat woman. That, that's what I'm getting at. But they so get they the should... opportunities. And again, if if they reach a certain level, like Jonah Hill, like Melissa McCarthy, like Paul Walter Hauser, you get the opportunity to break out of those and do different things. But so often larger actors get pigeonholed into those roles. Like I'm, I am a small time community theater actor if I am anything, but the first time a director took a chance on me and gave me a dramatic role, friends of mine came to see the show that had cast me on other things and said, I didn't know Steven could do that. Why didn't you know Steven could do that? Cause you never gave him the opportunity to do that. And which leads me to my next unfortunate point is, uh, I feel like Jonah Hill wasn't given those dramatic opportunities until he lost the weight. I mean, Moneyball and Wolf of Wall Street kind of stand against that. Now, I, I now particularly Wolf of Wall Street is is a more comedic turn for him in a dramatic movie, but Moneyball he's not super funny in Moneyball and Moneyball is a fucking masterpiece. Moneyball might be one of my favorite movies of 2013. Um, and he is, and he's a big part as to why. So again, I, I think, and, and that's the thing about comedic, about comedic actors, comedic actors can do drama because comedic actors understand timing. Dramatic actors can't always do comedy looking at you, Robert De Niro, but comedic actors can absolutely do drama because again, they have that inherent understanding of comedy or of timing. And that's all acting is, is timing, knowing when to say what thing for the maximum effect. And that's essentially what comedy is. So if you have an understanding of that, you can play dramatic. You just need to be given the opportunity to do so. And I think so often larger actors are not. Yeah, which is really what I'm getting at. I'm, I'm not Same. saying that they, they can't do that. It's just that 
you know, is the Rebel Wilson is another example. Like, mm-hmm. And I don't think she's had her dramatic breakthrough yet, if she ever will. No, but I wouldn't be surprised if she does now that she's thinner. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because that's how fucking Hollywood is. I, this mm-hmm. is this is a topic that will get me heated because I I hate fat shaming and fat discrimination. Right. And it pisses me off. It, and it let's let's be, be clear. You and I are gentlemen of size. Yeah, which is probably most of the reason why I get pissed off about it. Because there's just so much ignorance about it. It's the same. It, it's not. Well, I don't know if I want to say that. But it's 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 similar mm. to like racial discrimination. You're, you're judging somebody on how they look. You're making snap judgments on somebody how for how they look. I don't think it's as as rampant or as um, heated as those other, as other types of discrimination are racial, sexual, et cetera. That's why I said it's similar. It's not that deep. I mean, it's a form of discrimination. It's similar in that it is a form of discrimination. I will say that. Yes. Also, also fueled by ignorance and people's inability to want to learn anything. Correct. And, and a snap judgment based on an external stimuli. Yeah. So I, I just, I, I, I just, yeah, I have opinions and I have too many of them and it would take me too long to get into all of it. So basically Landon, we're not fans. Um, give larger actors the opportunity to perform, I think is, is kind of where we land on that. Um, there are, and just as there are so many incredibly gifted actors of every uh, race, creed and orientation um, there are a lot of great actors of of size, of various sizes as well. Um, and acting doesn't need to be about the method and the performative nature of the thing in, in ways that like people like Bale and Leto and Farrell and even Russell Crowe make it out to be. Now, Russell Crowe is a fun example because Russell Crowe is just the guy who decided to get fat. And it's just like every role he plays now is like, oh, I guess I got a game weight for this role. Like, and I just like fucking what a legend. Like that dude was like fucking ripped. And then he's just like, ah, I don't care. And just like bulked up and never, never took it off and probably never will. And he's the best part of Thor Love and Thunder and God bless the man. Yeah, he's, he's the opposite of the Jonah Hill and the Ripple Wilson. Like he, he got all of his dramatic roles in to start with. And he's like, all right, I can gain some weight now. And he's still playing the dramatic roles. Like he played Roger Ailes in that TV show. Like he's, he's doing good for himself. Like Russell Crowe, the man is not slowing down, but he's also not losing the weight either. And, and again, I say, God bless him. Like right on Russell. We're, we're fans. Come on the podcast. We know you listen. Yeah. Go check out the master and commander episode. You'll probably love it. Fuck. Yeah. I, that's that. If I could redo an episode, that's probably the one I'd want to redo. I know we've talked about what if we could redo an episode, but that that might be one I'd redo. It's the Master and Commander episode. Oh no, I thought it was pretty good. Go listen to it, everybody. You should go listen to it. That's like our fifth plug for a past episode. And so, um, hey, shoot us an email, disenfranchpod at gmail.com, and we might give you a response on the podcast, just like we did our good buddy Landon. Past and. We will spend way too much time at the end of the an episode talking about your emails. Yeah. Past and future guest Landon DeCrastis, a uh, big fan of his as he is a big fan of ours, and we are constantly and consistently grateful for him. Um, but yeah, you can also visit us on social media, as we mentioned earlier in their episode, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, and Facebook at Pod. Again, as we mentioned earlier, a great way to support us is to write us a letterbox or not a letterbox, an Apple podcast review, five stars, and a little review talking about why you like us. Again, 
Um, it goes a long way to helping us find more listeners and honestly just does wonders for Brett's self-esteem. So you can't put a price tag on that, really. Um, but if you wanted to put a price tag on it, you can also head to our Patreon, which we've also plugged way too many times in this episode, patreon.com slash disenfranchpod to listen to all the great content that we've mentioned and so much more that we haven't in this episode. Um, I'm your host, Stephen Foxworthy. You can find me on social media, on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Chewy Walrus. Brett, where can we find you these days? You can find me on Instagram and Letterboxd at sus underscore warlock. Fantastic. And that, my friends, is the end of the first episode of Spookython. Um, buckle up. We've got so much fun stuff in store for you, including another one of those great all-timer failed franchise starters uh, that I think we're probably going to be releasing that episode next week uh, with some just quality guest on that episode. So I won't spoil any of it, but you're going to want to hear it. It's going to be a good one. and It, it might be an all-time banger. I'm hoping it is. I'm sure it will be. At any rate, uh, I am your host, Stephen Foxworthy. For my co-host, Brett Wright, and myself, until next time, we are home. <laughs>